In this episode of the Exploring Information Security Podcast, how to implement GDPR Part 2. Welcome to the Exploring Information Security Podcast, where you will learn, explore, and grow your security mindset. I am your host, Timothy D. Block, and in this episode, we will be exploring how to implement GDPR. Joining me and returning to help answer this question is Stuart Scott, a AWS content lead at Cloud Academy, and George Gerchow, Chief Security Officer at Sumo Logic. This is a continuation from part one where we talk about uh, implementing GP, GDPR and some of the some of the nuances and some of the you know mistakes made or some of the things to consider when implementing GDPR. A lot of a lot of great stuff. Uh, as you'll hear, we kick off with uh, some AWS. So. Um, show notes can be found timothydblock.com forward slash EIS forward slash 147. And then, of course, you can give me feedback, timothy.dblock at gmail.com or on Twitter at timothydblock. And, of course, uh, be sure to check out cloudacademy.com. They've got a lot of great resources there for you to learn more about GDPR. With that, let's get it on. So let's touch on the AWS piece a little bit more. Let's dig into that. Stuart, you, you said that you've, uh, it's kind of your area of expertise as regards to GDPR and getting uh, compliance there. Yeah, so I recently launched a, a learning path on Cloud Academy relating to GDPR compliance. Um, AWS has a significant amount of different security services, tools, and features that can help you maintain your compliancy, um, not just with GDPR, but with multiple regulations. Um, so I just talked about some of the different services that you have, for example, Amazon Macy, uh, which is a great service to help you identify and, and categorize data that you're storing on S3 that might contain PII information. And if, if that data is exposed in any way, because as, as we know over the past couple of years in the media, we've, we've seen a, a number of... Um, data breaches or exposures rather than kind of breaches because it, it was just left open for people to, to access huge amounts of customer data. So Amazon have invested a significant amount of money and, that, and their kind of number one focus is, is security. Um, they need to ensure they have security nailed because if they don't, then it's not going to have the customers because they'll lose faith. So they're always investing in security and new security services and features. So there's a myriad of services and security services that you can use. Like I say, Amazon Macy, uh, Amazon Guard Duty, services like Amazon CloudTrail uh, or log all kind of API requests made within your account. So if there is... Um, a breach or, or anything like that or activity that shouldn't be taking place, then a service like Amazon CloudTrail can monitor who, what, and when made that specific request. And it can alert a service like CloudWatch and then it will then notify you via your mobile or, or email using SMS. So there's so many different controls and features that are available um, to use within AWS to help you control your data and control the flow of data. You just need to know how to, to use those services. Um, a lot of them are very self-intuitive, but you need to understand the, the architecture behind them. But the great thing is, is that there's so many security elements and security services on AWS is you'll probably find that it's far more secure than your own on-premise data centers and the, the services that you can 
adopt from a security standpoint on-premise, um, simply down to cost. Whereas the, the security services are kind of on an as-use basis. So used correctly, you can really help to minimize your security breaches and be made aware of potential threats long before they happen within your production environment. So it's well worth understanding the services available, how to use them, and watch what each of them do. And that's partly why I created this, this learning path, just to give uh, an introduction as to some of the different services available if you are running within AWS or looking to run within AWS, some of the services that you can use to help you maintain your compliance to GDPR. Yeah, that's a yeah. You also had AWS Config and Amazon Inspector here. That's it's a nine-hour course, so that's a pretty <laughs> it's a pretty beefy introduction. <laughs> yeah, there's it's, it's a few on there, and there's, there's certainly more that can be added to stuff uh, services like KMS. Um, I'm just updating um, a new key management service course at the moment that dives a lot deeper into to how the KMS service works, which which looks after all your encryption keys. So I talk about key policies and who has access to them. Um, and how to maintain the, the key rotation element just to encrypt your data. Because it's um, if, if you have customer data, then you need, you need to have it encrypted. And mm -hmm. to understand how that encryption works is, is key and fundamental, especially if there's a, a breach of maybe one of your, your, your keys, for example, has been compromised. You need to know what to do in that situation and what to know to do with your data. So it kind of, it covers all those elements. So there's, there's a lot there. Um, mm -hmm. I know nine, nine hours sounds a lot, but you, you can go, you can extend that through to ninety hours probably quite easily yeah. um, with the amount of content they have on it. So it's kind of a, a brief introduction. Um, over time, this will this learning path will grow and grow as more and more security tools, services, and features comes out. Um, then then we'll be updating the learning path. But hey, there's yeah. a there's a whole host of security services. Sorry, Josh. <laughs> No, no, Stuart, you're, you're, you're dead on. And, and, you know, we use many of those services. Again, we were born and bred in AWS eight years ago. So things like VPC flow logs and CloudTrail are critical to us. And yep. the cool part is all those logs got to go somewhere, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what solutions. Logs. Hmm. <laughs> Let me think about that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so one of the first areas I tell people to go to in AWS when when people are asking me about, you know, jumping in there is is like looking at trusted advisor because that like gives you a lot of areas to look in, like it pretty much does like a scan not only for security but for, you know, um performance things like that. Is is that would that be a good place to start for GDPR or is it a little bit more nuanced than that? I would um start with GDPR, uh, look at the data that you're storing. Okay. Um, and where that data is being stored uh, and the, the data protection of, of that data. So is it encrypted? Um, the, the region that it's being stored in, um, is it being moved around? Um, what data is that? Does it, is it any data to do with EU citizens um, to start with? I mean, if, if it's not, then don't worry. <laughs> um, if it is, then, then you have some issues. Yeah. Um, so you need to ensure sure it's being protected. Trusted Advisor is, is a great tool because like you say, it will give you kind of performance suggestions, security best practices, cost analysis, etc. Um, but it, it, need, it needs to go much further. It needs to go deeper than that. And you need to start looking at 
security threats and exposures because that that's where your privacy will be will be breached so tools such as uh, amazon guard duty is a, is a is a great tool that was released at reinvent last year um that is backed by machine learning and it will look at your entire kind of AWS account for threats. And it will look at your VPC flow logs, which George mentioned, CloudTrail logs, and I think the DNS query logs as well. And it will look at all that data within those logs to look for any spurious events that might be occurring based on history within those logs and any known threats from particular sources. It will use a number of different security feeds, external and internal to AWS, to say, hey, is this data coming from a trusted source or is this a known malicious um, source IP address? And so by using services like that, you can help protect attacks before they occur within your environment and then be notified that you are getting incoming data from these known malicious sources and you can block them and be alerted towards them. And it's just all about securing your, your account and infrastructure from the edge inwards. The more layers of security you have, the better from a GDPR perspective um, to protect the data of your customers. So that, 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 that's what I'd say. I, security has to be a layered approach um, from the very outside in. And the more layers you have, the more difficult it is for a malicious attacker or for a, a breach to occur. And I think, you know, to, to, to sort of add on to that and kind of backtrack, like, I love the idea of trusted advisor as well, too, because it's a good introduction to taking a look at the environment. But even before that, I think people still don't understand the shared responsibility model. So that's usually where I start. Like, like whenever we go to hire someone um, and bring them into our company, we're like, you need to look at this and really understand this. Because, like, look at the data breaches that took place in S3 last year, which are affect GDPR. It was because people didn't understand what they had to do on top of S3 to be able to protect that data. Things like server-side, client-side encryption, monitoring and logging, IAM you know, type access rules and everything else. And so I think that that basic fundamental thing, it seems silly to some people who've been in the cloud forever like us, but it's a valid thing because it's not something they're used to on-prem. On-prem, they're used to managing everything. So then for some reason, when they move out to AWS or to the cloud, they're like, oh, they, they can handle it all. They got it all. You know, like it's, it's their responsibility, not mine. And that's where people get in trouble. So I think starting there and then moving to something like a trusted advisor and then possibly beyond that, Stuart mentioned something that was very key and it affects GDPR too, which is where's my data really going? Is data sovereignty really taking place? For example, we, you know, we spun up Frankfurt this year. We've already had a, a, a European presence in Ireland. But our customers want to ensure that, you know, if their data is located in Germany, that it stays in Germany. It can still be resilient, you know, and it can still have high availability because it goes across multiple data centers in Frankfurt. But we need to ensure that that data stays there for them. And so there's certain things you can do around that. And then also you should get inspected on that every year as well, too. Yeah, you made a, a really valid point with the shared responsibility model. That's, uh, that is, that's kind of key, definitely. <laughs> All right, so what's the next step? We've kind of talked about DPAs. Um, I think you mentioned subject data rights. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so this is the hard part, right? Again, you know, so like before DPAs were hard, you know, but we feel like we got a good handle at that. And again, you know, you're constantly improving. 
but subject, the subject data rights is where, you know, it's articles 14 to 17. And it's where people want the right to erasure, you know? So this is like, I, I didn't even exist, but it, it, it's, it's hard to do depending on what kind of company you are and how much data you bring in. So we've, we, it, I love the way that you asked this question because it goes in line with kind of the lineage of GDPR, you know? So at first, you know, you, you have a privacy program, you bring some people on board, experts to do training and everything else and, and run those programs. Then you start working with individual lines of business on how data is handled. But then eventually people are going to say, all right, now I want to get rid of that data. Um, in some cases, it, it's, it's easier. It's easy to do. You know? So for example, we, we created an outbound self-service uh, DSAR, which is anyone you know, who's a prospect or customer can come in off of this portal we have and just say, look, I want, I want the right to erasure. And we'll erase it. And especially when it comes to things like marketing campaigns, sales campaigns, and things like that. But for a company like us, this is where it's extremely difficult. It'd be great to get both your thoughts around this. It's controversial. We're a logging company, okay? So as Stuart you know, eloquently described all these AWS services, well, that's what people use this for. You know, people transition to the cloud. They have high amounts of data, scales all over the place from new data sources that are API wrapped. Well, that's the value of Sumo Logic. But with that, let's say an, an enterprise or individual says, okay, I want my logs erased. Do they really want their logs erased? You know, so if, if I go back now and erase, let's say, a financial organization's logs for individuals and they get breached in three months, what are they going to want to see? They're going to want to go back and see logs, right? Because that's going to hold the forensics or could hold the forensic evidence of attacks. And so logs are a whole different animal. And I don't think these things got thought, thought through. And so one of the things that we're doing now is we're giving people the capability to, one, see what's coming into their logs, which I haven't seen anyone else do this. And again, this is not an outbound competitive thing. This is inbound. We, we, we wrote this for ourselves because I wanted to see what was in our logs. Um, and then we released it outbound to customers. So one, what's in them? Two, what, what can you do from preventing from putting that information in them? And then three, if you still don't want that data to be seen, I can now filter it or you can filter it to make it unsearchable. So now you can make that data unsearchable and then moving forward, if you ever have a breach or you have an event to where you needed that forensic data, you can flip that switch back on. So data subject rights or right to erasure is not one size fits all depending on what company you are. How, how does it work if, um, like you say, you are a financial uh, institute? Um, are, are there certain rules where you have to, uh, regulations where you have to keep data for seven years? So if Beautiful. someone did ask for a right to erasure, but it fell under a regulation that needed to be kept. How does, how does that conflict work? Right. So this is another great question. Okay. Cause like, so, so for example, we're, we're ISO 27001 fourth year, we're PCI, you know, fifth year, you know, we're, we're HIPAA and high tech assistated. So let's look at those HIPAA and high tech. Usually, you know, what the recommendation is, is you keep data for seven years. That's law. So all of a sudden, someone wants right to erasure. Well, the law is always going to win. So if it's healthcare data, I, I'm sorry. We're, we're, we're not going to get rid of the, that information. I'm lucky. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm in breach or PCI. Usually it's you know 13 months uh, or the payment credit card industry. So there are a lot of conflicts like that. But brilliant question, Stuart. But we're always going to side on the law. And so if we have a specific regulation like PCI or like HIPAA, or you mentioned finance, like FFIEC, GLBA, we're going to side there first. And then, mm -hmm. you know, if it's not under one of those regulations, and then we're going to go more with what uh, GDPR is recommending. Sure. That makes sense. <laughs>
That's interesting. It's something I hadn't thought about. Do you think that's going to change in the future? I, I personally, I, I don't. I think that we're going to have more and more conflict like this because everyone feels like their regional um, regulation is more important than anything else on the planet. And so for the foreseeable future, I, I see conflict all over the place. Now, here's what I will mention. You know, we, we were talking about how the U.S., um, is a little bit behind when it comes to some of these things, but there's certain things where we're ahead. Like one of them, like one of the big things about GDPR is um, when you have to disclose a breach. We've always sort of been doing that or supposed to have been doing that with these other regulations. And so that's something that came rather easy to us over here. But to the question you just asked, Timothy, it's going to get brutal. Like, like there's going to be conflicts all over the place. And that's why you really need someone to, to own these things, understand them. And, and our DPO, one of the main requirements we had, which is very different, was we wanted two backgrounds in particular. One, privacy. Two, compliance. So then that person had a rich education across the board. And the third thing is something that Stuart's been talking about, which is, you know, understanding how both these things work in a cloud environment. So I guess we've kind of talked about all the, the DPAs now. The, do we call them SDRs? Is that, is that what we're calling them, subject data rights? We call them DSARs. DSARs, okay. <laughs> okay, got to get the terminology right. Yeah. Um, and then, and then what, what's, I guess, what's the next step after that? Yeah, so for us, and again, that's a, that's a good question. For us now is like we're working really hard on a yearly, what's called a DPIA or data uh, protection impact analysis. And so again, think about what we talked about before, which is the influx of paper DDoS attacks, you know, like everyone wanting information from you. Our, the concept of a DPIA is, is that you bring in an external party to evaluate your environment once a year against GDPR privacy and the handling of data. And, and for GDPR, one of the, the unique things about it, which is kind of ambiguous, is I can't like hang a certificate in the middle of the hallway at Sumo that says, we are now GDPR certified. Like That just doesn't exist. But if I could get a third-party auditor to come in, show us where we may be deficient, and then validate us once we remediate these things to say, look, this company, they're GDPR ready, or we believe they're GDPR compliant. Again, that's something that we can move outbound, share it with prospects, share it with customers to say, look, there's no amount of inspection that you're going to give me that's going to equal this. Because the downside around that, Timothy, is imagine if all 2,000 of my customers, which they want to do this, send me a DPA that says we, we have the right to come in and audit your environment um, once a year. Because they try to do this all the time. It's like, well, first off, what are you going to audit? Because we have no data centers. We're 100% in AWS. And second, how disruptive is that? If I have every single customer or every single prospect, I allow them to come on site or run a three-day audit, which is, that's what they're asking for. So I think that kind of external validation for not just us, but everyone out there who's mature in GDPR um, just helps you grow, helps you get better, and then helps stop the paranoia of you know, what it is that you're doing internally with people's data. Okay. And so does that kind of wrap up, I guess, initial implementation of it? Because I think things, things you, you, I mean, do you see things changing in the future? I do. Um, I hope. Uh, w w I mean, what I'd really like to see happening in the future is that we sort of all come together, you know, and we have some kind of overall privacy policy to where 
you know, the globe could say, this is the way that data is handled. <laughs> we all do it this way. And it's, you know, it's funny because I, I know you guys are laughing because you're like, that'll never happen. But think about the power of someone like AWS, right? If someone like AWS ever said, look, this is the standard. You know, we have customers all over the world. We have uh, governance happening all over the world and regulations all over the world. Why don't we just work together to settle on this, at least in our environment, and make that acceptable? It could be something that could work down the line, but in a foreseeable future. <clears throat> yeah, that would be amazing, definitely. Yeah, it'd be great. Definitely. And uh, just one other thing as well, if, if you are kind of new to GDPR and like, we're going through the steps on, on how to do this at the moment, I think one of the key things is speak to other people as well that have been through it. Um, kind of find out what lessons learned they have. Um, and I, I think George mentioned earlier, just like going on different webinars and online. Um, seminars etc just to help you understand all the different elements that are involved in this and the, the best way to kind of prepare and, and set up your company to to maintain the compliance and run through the processes because it, it it can be huge it can be very disruptive to your organization and if you have some kind of plan or understanding of how other people have been through it it, it can really help yeah no absolutely and to that point, you know, like, again, this is nothing new. And, you know, in, in 1995, the Data Protection um, Directive came out, which was really the first GDPR. But think, you know, most people weren't really on the internet back then, and, and things like cloud weren't really in play. And so you're going to continue to see this maturization process um, around privacy and around GDPR. This is just version one, you know, version two, really, when you look at it. So I think people, even if you don't think it affects you now, get educated, as Stuart just said, and, and get prepared, you know, for what's coming in the future. Yeah, and I think version three won't be as long between version <laughs> one and two was, to be honest. That's right. <laughs> That's true. It's going to come quickly. Just, just, just the rate of how information is being captured these days is, is phenomenal. So it was definitely time for something like this. Um, to, to get in place because it was you know, over 20 years old. So it needed something new to, to give individuals a bit more um, control how their data is used and just an, an understanding of how technology has changed and how it's collated and logged um, just needed to be reviewed. So it's, um, yeah, version two, as you say, is uh, well overdue, I think. Yeah, for sure. All right, is there anything else you guys like to mention that we haven't already discussed? I can go first. Like, like, like for, for me, I think another piece of it too is we haven't really talked about the role that attorneys play in this too much, um, but it can be a very valuable role because uh, as these regulations change, as the laws change, I think it's critical to have counsel, privacy counsel as well too. And an important thing is Stuart mentioned something key, which is disruption. Um, if the privacy attorney reports like to another part of the business or the DPO, another part of the business outside of the CISO or the CSO, that can be disruptive because not everyone's on the same page. And this is a philosophical discussion for us. We decided to bring that all into um, the, the CSO because it made us more efficient It made us work better together, brought more of a sense of urgency around this and brought everyone on the same page. And so attorneys do play a very valuable role um, in the early stages, uh, you know, why you're getting a lot of this documentation together, like DPAs and everything else, but then also in the later stages as well, too, because, you know, as, as we've been talking about, this is going to mature and there's going to be more and more legality issues that creep up 
And so I, I think that people need to be acutely aware of the fact that at some point, if you gather a lot of data around EU citizens, you're going to need the help of a privacy attorney. What would you guys like to promote? Cloud Academy. Cloud Academy. There you go. There you go. Yeah, we, we have a we have a host of learning paths on on AWS. Um, I've created a number on on AWS security and like I said on GDPR, um, which will be be extended as well. Um, we have a, a blog site which covers. Um, I think George, I think you, yourself done a, a blog post on there um, recently. Um, to do with GDPR and, and a host of webinars as well. So we have a lot more resources on the website to cover GDPR and general AWS security and other regulations as well. Yeah, for me, it's twofold, you know, so, so one, yes, you know, Cloud Academy is doing great things. And in fact, rumor has it that there's a GDPR course coming up on Cloud Academy, which, you know, uh, will have like a whole process around that on, on how to handle GDPR in, you know, in, in real life, in real terms, an applicable practitioner um, perspective. And then the other is also Sumo Logic. I mean, we, we talk so much about gathering logs within AWS and AWS services that help you with privacy. Um, and all those logs have to go somewhere and be analyzed somewhere. And Sumo Logic is the perfect platform for that. Awesome. And then uh, do you guys have Twitter? Yeah, you can uh, reach me on at Stuart underscore A underscore Scott. At George Gerchow. George Gerchow. And that's G-E-R-C-H-O-W. You nailed it. That's it. Yeah, unlike my show notes, which spelled it completely wrong. <laughs> I think I put the notes together Friday night with a couple beers. Yes. I don't that's like not it. a bad thing. Yeah, no, no, it's not. All right, gentlemen. Uh, well, this has been a really good discussion. Very enlightening. Uh, I appreciate you joining me to discuss uh, how to implement GDPR. No, pleasure. Thanks for inviting us and a uh, pleasure to meet you both. Yeah, you guys as well. Thank you very much and looking forward to speaking with you in the future. Thank you.